Easter is the time of year when many children think of bunnies and baskets, while many adults make Easter one of their annual church visits. To devoted Christians, however, Easter is the most significant holy day of the year. It required the death of the Creator Himself to reconcile fallen man to God. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. The Bible tells us that the resurrection of Christ from the dead is our source of hope. Validation that Christ was who He claimed to be, the Son of God and Messiah, as well as the glimpse of what we as Christians can look forward to in eternity. But does the resurrection have other lessons for us? Stay tuned for the next 15 minutes as we take a closer look at the resurrection and discover the significance of the sacrifice of the Creator. In Scripture, we read of prophets in the Old Testament and Christ in the New Testament resurrecting ordinary people from the dead. We may overlook these miracles, not understanding the significance to us today. But Dr. John Whitcomb, founder of Christian Workmen Schools of Theology, explains that these resurrection events highlight the uniqueness of Christ's resurrection. Let's think for a minute about the tremendous difference between those resurrections and his resurrection. Lazarus, for example, was dead four days before Jesus arrived in Bethany, and he said two things about Lazarus that are very noteworthy as he was in that tomb. The first thing he said was to the people standing around, move the stone. Well, why did he have to move the stone? Why couldn't Lazarus have just been supernaturally brought through the stone? Because God is showing a tremendous difference between what happened to Lazarus and what happened to Jesus. The angels moved the stone of Jesus' tomb not to let him out because he had already gone through the stone they moved it to let the disciples come in. But Lazarus came forth with a mortal body. He was therefore again in a state of sin and again awaiting physical death. He didn't rise to a glorified body at all. So, the resurrection of a body that continues to remain and live on earth is significantly different than the resurrection of Christ to a glorified body. When Peter and John looked into that empty tomb of Jesus, they saw something that astounded them, namely that the grave clothes were in perfect position, just as they were when he was lying there. And the body was absent, the headpiece by itself, just as it was, the body portion of the cloths, just as they were, like an Egyptian mummy with the mummy missing. And I say, well, Lord, that is an amazing thing by which you have demonstrated, not only to Peter and John, but to all of us, that your resurrection was to a glorified body, not to a mortal body that would die again, like Lazarus had. And Christ's glorified body gives Christians a hope for the future. Now, of course, we have never seen a spiritual body like Jesus has right now at the right hand of God. But that is one of the foundational truths of the Bible, that Christ is the first fruits of them that slept, the first one in all of human history, ever to experience glorification, a body that will never die again, never be subject to pain, disease, weakness, suffering, or sin. That is a blessed hope, isn't it, for all of us to be someday like His body.
Not only is the resurrection of Christ from the dead very different from the other resurrections we read about in the Old and New Testaments, but it is something that sets Christianity apart from the religions of the world. Dr. Thomas Kendall is founder of Reasons for Faith Ministries. Well, the resurrection, according to the scripture, was a literal historical event that declared Jesus Christ to be the Son of God with power. Christ did something no other religious leader in the world did. He said, destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it up. But it says he spoke of the temple of his body. And even his enemies understood them. They understood him actually better than his disciples. They put a Roman guard at the tomb to make sure a phony resurrection could not happen, to make sure that the disciples couldn't come in and steal the body and proclaim a resurrection. But that backfired on them horribly because it made it obvious that the only way that tomb could have been empty on the third day, as it was, was by a supernatural resurrection. Nobody else in history predicted that they would die and raise themselves from the dead. And that is the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. This uniqueness and the resurrection story really extend back to the book of Genesis. I see our president, Dr. John Morris. In the beginning, when God created, he, of course, he first created the heavens and the earth and then light and then the oceans and the atmosphere and the plants and the continents and then the sun and the moon and the stars and then animal life in the oceans and animals that flew. And then on day six, land animals. It wasn't that God was lonely at that point. God had all eternity passed and he was in full fellowship with the triune Godhead, but he desired to create one on whom he could shower his love and grace and from whom he could receive a reciprocal relationship. And so he created man in his own image. But this perfect world and man's pure relationship with God would soon be ruined because of sin. In the beginning, man was without sin. Everything was very good in the beginning. There was no sin. There was certainly no penalty of sin, which was death. Everything was living in life Life would have gone on forever had Adam not chosen to reject God's authority over him and sin. That's what Genesis chapter 3 is all about. Adam rejects God's authority, and then God pronounces that awful penalty of sin. He had predicted that the penalty of sin would be death. And so from that point on, every man was born into sin and with a sin nature, and every man chose to sin. We live in this sin-dominated, sin-cursed world. Since man had sinned and was now separated from his Creator, there was only one way to restore this fellowship. Jesus Christ would take sin's penalty for a lost and dying world. And it was into that world that the Creator himself then chose to step, to take upon himself the form of man whom he had created, man who had rejected God, and yet God became a man so that he could die for man. He lived a sinless life, a a man for whom no sin penalty was needed so that he could die as a substitute for man who had fallen and rejected him. This is an amazing thought, but truly understanding that our Savior is also our great creator should give us a better and deeper understanding of the resurrection. Dr. Kindle gives us an example of the awesome power of Christ. And when you think of the creation, I think only the cosmos can really give us a a grasp of the infinite power and majesty and glory of God. In fact, Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. But what's most incomprehensible and most amazing is that the Scripture declares in the Psalms that he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The vastness, the power, the beauty, the majesty. It says that God spanned the heavens with his right hand. 
And anything you measure with the span of your hand is obviously not something very big in comparison to the one doing the measurement. Yet it's so big that it does help us grasp some of the infinite power and majesty of God. So if we grasp just a glimpse of the greatness and grandeur of our Creator, it may help us to see ourselves in a different light and to appreciate even more Christ's sacrifice for us. The psalmist asked, What is man that thou art mindful of him? When we look at the vastness of the universe, the beauty and the power of the creation, it's hard to think that us puny little humans on this one little planet and this one little galaxy could have any importance at all to the amazing, magnificent Creator. But the Bible indicates that we have infinite value, that we of all the creatures in the universe, uh, excluding even the angels, that human beings alone were made in the image of God, that God breathed into Adam something of his own nature, something that makes us different even from the angels, something that destines us to be the children of the Father and the bride of Jesus Christ something that made us so valuable that even in our lost and sinful state, God would pay the infinite price of the death of his Son, who is the Creator, to redeem his fallen creation, that he might have his children and his bride for eternity. The fact that the Creator had to die in our place because we could not save ourselves ought to remind us of the seriousness of sin. The Bible tells us if righteousness could come by the law or by our works, then righteousness would have come that way. But there was only one way. There had to be a price paid. And the price was so exorbitant, so extreme, that no one but the Creator could pay it. And that tells us that sin is not some trifling little thing that people like to joke about nowadays. It's the most serious problem that human beings will ever confront in time and eternity. And if it required the death of the Creator himself to reconcile fallen man to God, then sin is incredibly, incredibly potent and powerful as a problem. It is so serious that it's more than serious enough to damn the puny human soul to hell for eternity. If it could be serious enough to cause the Creator to humble himself and become man, and then to die the humiliating and and excruciating death of the cross, it's serious enough that it would cause us to have eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. So God has shown us the seriousness of sin by sending his son, the creator. He's shown us the seriousness of his love, and he has asked us to make the choice. And the choice we make is either to accept or reject God's gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. By the death of the creator, he has said we're worthy of eternal life, membership in his royal family, but we can veto that judgment of God with our own free will and choose to love the pleasures of sin for a season, and refuse our birthright that we're given by creation because we're made in the very image of God. That has to be the ultimate human tragedy. But the good news is that nobody has to make that choice. It really is in the grasp of every human being to reject the lie of evolution, to reject the lie that we're not worthy, that we're not significant, that we weren't made in the image of God, and to accept the truth that the Scripture is inspired, that the Creator is real. He has not left us without witness. He has sent His Son. And we simply have to choose to believe the truth about our nature, the truth about His nature, and what He has done for us to receive royal membership in His family for eternity. Dr. Whitcomb. And I say thank you, Lord Jesus, for making this possible through the marvelous record you've given of what you actually did 
when you died for our sins and you said, it's finished. And then three days later, you rose from the dead with a marvelous, glorified body that could just pass through that closed door into the upper room, having passed through the stone that blocked the entrance of the tomb. And say to his astonished, electrified apostles, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. Apparently no more of the human life principle of blood. Today the life of the flesh is in the blood, Leviticus 17.11, but the resurrection body is apparently empowered by the Spirit of God and therefore will never become old, not subject to that deadly second law of thermodynamics of aging and death, but will be alive forevermore with Christ the Savior who created us, who redeemed us, and who someday will glorify us forever. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.